Welcome to the Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. We're accustomed to Playhouse Square being filled with artistic activity, whether it's live theater, concerts, dance, film. But from Wednesday, July 20th through Sunday the 24th, that activity stretches from Public Square to Playhouse Square as the Borderlight International Theater and Fringe Festival makes its return after a pause for COVID. So what happens at Borderlight? Really a little bit of everything. This biennial stage is plays, there is dance, musicians who turn your story into a song, dance drama, and that is just barely scratching the surface. Here to fill in the details for us is festival co-founder Dale Heinen. Dale, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Delighted to be here. I know that you've traveled in the past and have seen these kind of festivals in other places, including Europe. What prompted you and co-founder Jeff Pence decided that you really wanted to stage something like this in Northeast Ohio? It's true that I did live in Europe for 15 years, and so I was able to experience the Dublin Theater Festival and the Edinburgh Festival, uh, the Avignon Festival, and I realized that there was really nothing quite like that in the U.S., and in fact that Cleveland is in some ways comparable to the cities where I saw these festivals really being successful, in the sense that Cleveland is more like a, you know, a second city. It's not a huge megalopolis. We've got a lot going on here, but it's not quite a Chicago, a London, or New York, and that actually makes it a really good place to cite a theater festival because there's not so much cultural noise drowning it out when it happens. You really began working on this project in earnest around 2014, 2015. How do you, you, you started big. I mean, you could have done this small the first year, but it was a very ambitious project. Take us through those early days and just, you know, how you conceived of it and, and why you decided to do it as large as you did. It's interesting. There was a lot of discussion about whether you start small and grow or do you start big, make a splash and an impact and then become something you hope people want to see return right away. And we did end up going for the go big or go home approach after lots of conversations with people who were our advisors, our steering committee, and later many of them became board members. And it just seemed like there was an appetite for this certainly from artists, but also even from the philanthropic and civic communities, people seem to to want this, they got behind it. And so we thought, let's try to make an impact in that first year and hope that it succeeds. <laughs> it was a bit of a gamble, uh, but it did succeed. And part of that is because, you know, we by then acquired some great you know partners like Cleveland Public Library and various local theaters and some great board members. So, uh, and we had some bigger foundations behind us like Gund and the Cleveland Foundation. So we felt like we could pull it off. And we felt like we did. We ended up having about 10,000 visitors to that first festival in 2019, uh, 4,000 tickets sold and a lot of other events that were free and outdoors that other people just kind of caught either on purpose or by accident. So we, we counted those crowds and we arrived at, at a really impressive number for our first festival. So that sort of validated that decision, I think, to to go large and also, you know, gave more opportunities to more artists. You know, we got quite a few applications to our Fringe Festival and that comprises the biggest part of the festival. And it just creates more energy, you know, more is more, more, more art, more choices, and more of that festival feeling where you can go from show to show, which is really what we were after. As you began the process, talk about some of the goals that you and Jeffrey set. What were you hoping to accomplish, not only in this first year, but as you continue with, with uh, Border Light? What are you hoping to accomplish with this festival? I would love to see it become known nationally and internationally. And I feel like we've made some inroads there. We would like to see it have an economic impact on Cleveland. Festivals can be incredible um, drivers for the economy. We've seen that happen in, for example, Edinburgh, estimates billions of dollars of impact on that economy. And 
and Cleveland uh, could really need to use something like that. And also, it's great for the artist economy. You know, people who who self-produce their work, they learn those skills. They also connect with artists nationally and internationally, and they create opportunities potentially toward their own work. So it creates a network outward into the world that we're excited about. And the mission is to present visionary international theater and build cross-cultural understanding. And so that's a really key goal of the festival. And the way we program it is with that in mind always. You know, for example, we have a couple of stand-up comedians coming in from um, other cities in the U.S., and they they're both happen to be immigrants, one from India, one from Colombia. And so they bring that perspective, that sort of cross cultural border crossing perspective to their art, to their comedy. And we, we love that. And that's sort of the the way we think about curation. A lot of the time it's um, how many different perspectives can we show on the world? Um, this is a country in which, you know, there's a lot of division there are a lot of boundaries. And so it's sort of viewed as a, a way of countering that. Sometimes when you, you don't see what's going on in your own backyard, Fred Bidwell from Front Triennial has joined us for the landscape. And I know one of his goals, and I imagine it's one of yours, he really talked about this notion of wanting not only the rest of the country to see Cleveland as an arts destination, but a worldwide place to, for people to think, Cleveland is a place I should visit to see the arts. Absolutely. I think Cleveland more than deserves its reputation as a cultural destination, and we want to build on that and make more people aware of it. You know, we have an incredible theater district, obviously an incredible museum. Um, the largest, but Playhouse Square is the largest performing arts center outside of Lincoln Center. I mean, not many people know that when they get here and when artists work there, they're just really impressed. Like they can't believe the facility and the, the technicians that we have and the professionalism of the, uh, of, of the work that's being produced there. So, you know, we make a great impression. People come here, artists who have been part of the festival, either front or borderlight, and they leave and they talk about it. You know, it makes other artists want to come. Artists reach out to us and they're like, oh, I was talking to so-and-so. They had such an amazing time in Cleveland. They loved it. They loved working there. They loved the festival. Uh, that's just really good for Cleveland's reputation in the arts community. But yeah, of course, uh, we also hope that it, that we can draw cultural tourists, people who, who start to see Cleveland as a cultural Mecca, and it's on their must-see, must-do list that is good for the city, it's great for the economy, and it's also great for our local artists. Borderlight is a theater festival, but underneath that umbrella, there are a lot of different types of events. What about the process of shaping the festival? Because you have so many things going on, at some point there has to be a narrowing down of what you're going to present. We have a structure that creates a way of uh, narrowing it down. We have a national RFP through which fringe artists get involved. And that process is uh, adjudicated by seven theater professionals who pick you know, a really diverse array of programming, both diverse in terms of genre and also person, <clears throat> lots of different voices represented. And so that is sort of one large part of the festival. The largest percentage of the festival is selected that way. And then uh, there's international work that is touring, you know, high, well-regarded, usually award-winning, often American premieres that work. We try to find a balance of geographies and genres. And also, you know, there's some restrictions and hurdles when it comes to immigration. So we have to be practical in the sense that, you know, we probably can't bring a giant troop from a country where visas are very hard to get. So often, more often than not, we end up bringing smaller scale touring works. Um, but I'm a great believer that, you know, you don't need a huge production values and giant sets to have great theater. Uh, theater is really about the imagination. It's about 
play. Uh, it's about creating empathy. And uh, I think that we're able to bring some work that is remarkable that people otherwise would not be able to, to see at that layer of the festival. We're talking with Dale Hine, and she's the co-founder of the Borderlight International Theater and Fringe Festival, taking place here in Cleveland in between Playhouse Square and Public Square, Wednesday the 20th through Sunday, July 24th. Dale, you have performers coming from other countries. Do those countries ever do anything to help support the performers they're sending? We do sometimes get support from from consulates. Often they will support artists' travel and per diems. Uh, so, for example, you know, Ireland, um, sometimes Germany. We've had some success in those categories of spending from foreign countries, yes. You mentioned that funders were interested in getting involved. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, obviously... Funders are approached all the time to support many worthy causes. So how do, how are you able to convince them that this was a good thing to get behind? Well, we've had really powerful um, help from our board. We've got a very smart board. A lot of them are you know, seasoned nonprofit leaders themselves. And the festival really sells itself in many ways because we're offering something that is not only an economic stimulus locally, but also it's creating you know jobs for local people, not just actors, but also technicians and box office managers and venue managers and house managers. So there's a strong argument to be made there. And also we're engaging with lots of local partners, you know, and I think that funders like to see that there's a really grassroots element to this festival where we are working with um, you know Cleveland Public Library and Near West Theater and Playwrights Local and other small theater companies. Uh, we're working with Tricy Hospitality Management Center and U.S. Committee on Refugees and Immigrants. We're working with um, Global Cleveland. So there's a lot of partnerships like that that I think funders like to see because they're also funding a lot of those other organizations too. And then I think that we we have a really uh, diverse festival. You know, we are trying to create a festival that represents the city we live in. It's very purposeful in the way we try to include voices that are not always heard or well represented. So I think that all of those things make it um, appealing to, to funders. But of course, we have to keep you know, earning that support and those partnerships by producing really good work and by showing that people want to come out and see it. So we have to produce impacts. You know, we have plyometrics and we, we, we seek to meet those. Borderlight is a mix of free events and ticketed events. How does the ticketed part work? Do you, do you buy a pass? Do you buy individual tickets? Is there a mix of options? Lots of options, yes. So as you pointed out, lots of free work. And I think 16 productions are entirely free, unticketed and outside. There's also one free indoor piece that is a Puerto Rican company working with Near West Theater on large-scale puppetry that will be a gun studio. But for the most part, the free work is outside. And then fringe work starts at $5, and probably most tickets are more like $15. And then on up from there, we have stand-up comedy at $23 and international work at 30 for previews, 35 otherwise. So all very affordable. One piece is $45 because we serve an entire meal with it. <laughs> Afghan food, a production called Karaki. Uh, so, yeah, we try to keep it really super affordable. And essentially those ticket prices are all subsidized, you know, by fundraising. We want to make it something that everybody can experience in some way and not feeling, you know, sort of intimidated by the idea of theater being a rarefied art form, being something that's not for them. So keeping ticket prices low, keeping work outside and accessible, those are all part of why we do it that way. And yes, you can buy fringe passes. Um, you can buy a four-pack or a 
eight pack for significant discounts. And you can also buy an all festival pass for $230, which is a pretty good deal. <laughs> Probably more theater than anybody can see in five days uh, can be had with the all festival pass. So yeah, lots of options for tickets. You mentioned the Afghani show, with, which includes a dinner. This notion of a more immersive experience when one goes to the theater, whether it's dinner included or, or, or some sort of interaction with the, the actors, this has become much more prominent in the last decade or so. What's the appeal of this? It really has. This has been filtering across the world, this idea of immersive and interactive theater. It's more experiential. You know, I think people in rising generations, they, they really create experience. They don't, they're less content to just sit and have content um, fed to them. And so this has arrived, arisen through some really you know, great theater companies like Punch Drunk or the London-based company where they create large immersive experiences that the audience actually moves through. Um, so work like that is becoming more and more popular. And also cross-form work, you know, work that combines different elements of media. Like we have a, an augmented reality piece um, on, in, on the fringe this year. Um, we have a one-on-one you know, create your own song piece, which is pretty fun, called Songcraft. So you have an interactive experience as part of the, you know, so-called, in quotes, plays. It's not a traditional play at all. So, yeah, we're really interested in trying to expand those forms. And it's also, a way of, you know, building a bigger audience, trying to draw people in from, pull them away from those conventional notions of what theater really is. From Wednesday to Sunday, that's a lot of days and a lot of things to cover. There are so many events. We couldn't possibly go through them all. Tell me about just a couple that you're really excited about. No, who are your favorite kids? Tell me about a couple of the events you're excited about. I'm really excited about uh, Karaki. That's the one I mentioned that is featuring Afghan food at the end of it. Well, that piece is by a company in Pittsburgh called Real-Time Interventions, and they created it originally in a sold-out production in Pittsburgh. Uh, the director of the piece, Molly Rice, she spent a year embedded with Afghan refugees there, and she really learned a lot about their interests, um, their their hopes and their priorities, and um, we're trying to translate some of what she learned to the Cleveland community of Afghan refugees. In particular, this piece is about and by women Afghan refugees who are who face particular challenges when they're resettled in in the U.S. And this is a culinary theatrical experience in that these women um, love to cook. And they're interested in sharing their, their culture through their cuisine. So <clears throat> the women will be present and cooking. But stories of female Afghan refugees are actually going to be told by actors. So this company, you know, worked with women to um, to learn their stories and then to craft them into theatrical monologues. And so those are presented. And then afterwards, there's a talk back and a chance to learn from refugee resettlement experts more about that process and what it's like and to talk to Afghan women and try to understand what their lives are like. And, you know, they're, they're members of our community. Lots, hundreds of Afghan refugees have moved to Northeast Ohio um, in recent times. Um, And so I think it's just a great opportunity to, again, cross those borders, you know, to communicate, to, to create more understanding and to better uh, and to educate ourselves about these new American citizens who are our neighbors. So I'm really excited about the Karaki and that's going to be Old Stone Church. And then I'm also excited about Oasis. This is an American premiere production by Amir Peter from Israel that's being supported by the Jewish Federation's Cleveland-Israel Arts Connection. And that piece uh, is really timely because while it's set during the the Algerian War in the 1950s, it's about a young French soldier who 
who's really faced with, um, he's been told to commit acts that he finds go against his own sense of conscience. And he takes great risks to defy those orders. And it changes the course of his life. So it feels really resonant right now, those kinds of moral choices that are being made actively on the ground every day in places like Ukraine and also in the Middle East. So really excited about that piece. He's just a truly charismatic, uh, mesmerizing performer. So that one will be at the Helen Theater in Playhouse Square. And then one more piece that I'd really highly recommend is called Perhaps, Perhaps, Quesas. And the woman behind it is a clown. <laughs> She's a physical comedian from Mexico City. And this work has been done all over the world to great acclaim. It's won awards in places as far away as New Zealand. <laughs> she also performs a lot in Europe. And this is a piece that's performed um, entirely without text. This is pretty unusual in American theater. But she plays a woman as a very kind of over-the-top, interesting-looking woman who is lonely. And she's very much on her own, but she interacts with the audience like they're a part of her world. Somebody could probably expect to be <laughs> brought up on stage at some point. Okay. Um, so it's really a, a poignant yet physically brilliant piece about um, about loneliness. Uh, to classify it as clown theater of kind of world world class uh, quality. So excited about that one. And I could mention um, again the the piece from Puerto Rico. Pablo and Efrain Del Hierro are here from Puerto Rico to work with Near West Theater, which is a great community theater in the Detroit Shoreway neighborhood. And this work is being created with children associated with that neighborhood um, and associated with that theater. And it's a piece created from scratch. And I think what's really fun about Pablo and Efrain is that they have created a unique style of puppetry theater that's that's large often, <laughs> quite like, I mean, like 10 feet tall, large, and really they have their own beautiful, unique aesthetic. So I'm really excited to see what they come up with in cooperation with Near West Theater. And that one will be performed for free at the Gun Studio Theater, uh, very much a family and children's piece. But I think the puppetry will appeal to everybody. We should mention, I mean, obviously, most of the, many of these events are targeted toward adults with adult themes, but you, there are plenty of things for kids to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah, another one I could mention is that Inlet Dance is performing a piece by Polyglot Theater, which is a really famous children's theater company in Australia. Uh, that one's called Bees, and the dancers play bees, and they're dressed literally as bumblebees, yeah. just remarkable costumes that carry their own sound systems. And that one's going to be for free in the Eastman Reading Garden, right next to the main library campus on Superior. Uh, I think that's going to be just <laughs> tremendous fun. It's very interactive, again, that children get involved. You know, it's their crafts. They're actually making bee wings. They're learning, you know, bee behavior They're f by following the bees. The bees don't actually speak. It's all communicated through movement and sound. So I think that that's going to be a delightful spectacle in the garden. Sounds great. You know, I, as we close, I was at Jazz Fest a couple of weeks ago in Playhouse Square. And of course, there's wonderful concerts going on inside. But I think the best part is the people are hanging around outside listening to free bands. And when you see how the, they activate the space, and you're going to be doing it from Playhouse Square to Public Square, it's just wonderful to see all the people in downtown. It really is. You know, I remember having a feeling walking down Euclid Avenue during the 2019 festival and thinking, this is the city I want to live in. This is amazing. The street is full. It feels alive. It's vibrant. And yeah, that's that. It's been a sad time for, you know, for 
many cities, including Cleveland, our downtown has been um, quiet, often even boarded up during the past few years. So yeah, I'm really excited to see that return to life on our city streets. Gail Heinen, thanks for sharing the story of Borderlight International Theater and French Festival. Good luck with the festival the 20th through the 24th of July. It sounds like it's going to be a great time. We're so glad you could join us today. Thank you so much for having us. Look forward to seeing you there. Glad to have Dale Heinen join us from the Borderlight International Theater and French Festival. She joined us for the Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon. (laughs) 